Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, it's great to gather with you today. It's great to be with you. I hope you've had a wonderful week. Um, I, hope, I hope that you, like, I kind of feel weird because when I'm worshiping and leading worship, I'm all in. It's so good. I, I don't know if it shows, but I love it. And I hope that you sense that same spirit here each week because the spirit is here. It's not like there's something that has to happen magically in order for, you know, all of a sudden the spirit to come to us. The spirit's available all the time. It's a matter of how we're positioning and opening our hearts. And so as we gather and we worship, it's so sweet and so good. Do you feel it? Jesse feels it. Do you sense that as we gather, as we spend this time together, even as we spend time in silence, that the Lord is here speaking into our hearts? I do. I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful for you calling this place home and gathering with us each week, allowing us to just take time and space to be before the Lord. We're truly blessed. And what do you do when you feel that you're blessed? What do you do when you've discovered something that truly impacts you? I love this pen, this pen right here. (laughs) Some of you, I've had a conversation with you about this pen. This pen is made from an all copper body It has grade five titanium inner parts, an industrial grade silicon ring that seals the body to the, the front part to the body. And it takes 82 inserts, popular inserts. It's a nice pen. I've kind of seen the value of carrying a good pen since my college days. And it's kind of been like a path of discovery. What's the perfect pin? As soon as you find a pin that you maybe kind of like, I mean, I have multiple pairs of jeans where there's a big black spot because the pin leaked or broke or the cap came off, you know? So it's been a labor of discovery to find the perfect pin. And it's got to, okay, so a pin has to write well. And yeah, I, I mean, I hope I'm not offending any of you ballpoint pen people, but ballpoints won't do. <laughs> it's got to be a gel at least, if not like a mi- micro ball, a fountain pen, if you're extra, but a fountain pen's problematic for your pocket. It's got to, it's got to look good. I mean, those orange pins that we have in our pockets, those things, like you can run it over with a truck and it'll still keep writing. But I mean, Look at it, right? (laughs) So it's got to look good too. This pen has it all. I've got a Pilot G2 gel insert in this right now. And it's just perfect. I can talk about this pen all day long. What do we do when we've discovered something good? 
We tell people about it. I could keep going, you know, but whether it's pens or, you know, the things that are personal to me, guitars, beehives and beekeeping, pottery, how to set up a sweet office workstation, I can, I can tell you things. <laughs> but also, the deep impact of what following Jesus and modeling our lives after him has done for me. Also, discovering the very unique and personal ways in which each of us are made because you may not interact with the Lord the way I do. And that's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because we're all each individually made. I love discovering this with people. I love kind of talking with people, finding out about their personality, finding out about how they love to spend their time and connecting the dots because sometimes it's like an aha moment. I've been broken my whole life, I thought, because I could just never worship God the way other people did. And it's just a matter of discovering how we're each individually made and that if a morning out in nature is the thing that does it for you, don't feel ashamed of that. That's the way you connect with the Lord. Whether it's how serving the Lord has changed me or whether it's how I love to come alongside others and help connect them in their walk with the Lord. When we find something that's special, we gotta tell people about it. As we continue in this season of Epiphany Tide, that's kind of the name of this season. Did you know that in the, in the church calendar? The time between Epiphany and Lent is called Epiphany Tide, and it bridges the events of Advent and Christmas with what's to come in Lent leading up to the Holy Passion of Christ in the week of Easter. But as we do so, we're going to be looking for the ways that Jesus demonstrated the fact that God has come in flesh, that God is with us. That's our theme over this season, is discovering the ways in which God is with us and how that affects us, how that changes us, how that might touch our lives. In doing so, we draw our attention not only to Christ, but also to the cast of characters that, sin, that tended to surround Jesus. Of course, his disciples, but also all those that he interacted with. Because as we see Jesus interacting with others, sometimes those are an easier point of reference for us. We've all heard the concept that we should be like Christ. But you know, frankly, sometimes that can feel daunting. So as we look at these cast of characters around Christ, we look for connection points for us. This morning, we'll be using our lectionary texts for this week. Uh, this second Sunday after Epiphany. If you guys are starting to discover the lectionary, if you're starting to learn about what the lectionary is, you may have discovered that there's three lectionary cycles. In other words, the lectionary is broken up into years A, B, and C. We're in year C. So if you're at home looking up lectionary, lectionary year C, and you'll see the this passages that we're looking at today. We'll be, we've already heard our psalm passage, but we'll be looking at our Old Testament, our gospel, and our New Testament passage shortly. 
But as we do, let's pray that the Lord would open our hearts for the hearing of his word. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded us. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. It'll be on the screens for you. You can look and follow along if you'd like. Isaiah 49. Listen to me, all you distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called my name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose, yet I leave it in, leave it all in the, hand, the Lord's hands. I will trust God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is a servant of rulers, kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will bow down because of the Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament passage for this week is referred to as a servant song. There's two servant songs in Israel. This is the second, or in Isaiah, this is the second of the two servant song passages. And the theme is clear. God's love and mercy is working. His grace is working to call those who are lost and hurting back to restoration and back to wholeness. And it also shows us that all who hear and would notice and acknowledge his work would take notice, that others would notice, kings would stand at attention, princes would bow down. People would take notice when this work is happening, when this goodness is taking place. So as we read passages like this, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, who's, who, who's he talking to? Obviously, as we read scripture, we all are looking for ways in which the Lord is talking to us, but I'm asking, who is the Lord talking to? It sounds like the writer might first be talking about himself. He's saying, my words are this way. But it also then, it sounds like he might be talking to the people who he was initially writing to, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, while they were in captivity in Babylon. But of course, we know the primary theme of the book of Isaiah is pointing to the Messiah, right? And so we think, well, maybe it's Jesus who's going to fulfill this. I mean, obviously the nation of Israel did this, but then Jesus came and Jesus is who unlocked this truth and this message that went to the Gentiles. Of course, we focused on that during Epiphany when the three kings came and 
honored Jesus with their gifts, it was the first time in which the Gentiles acknowledged Jesus as Lord. But then again, Jesus, when he was with his disciples in the final week, he passes his authority and ministry onto all those who would follow after him and faithfully serve the kingdom. So who does that leave? Who are the servants of the servant song? Yeah, it might mean us. It might mean you and me. That we are the ones that Jesus is calling today to be the carriers of the servant song. But I don't know if you have felt this, but that can sometimes feel like quite a weight of responsibility. St. Teresa of Avila was a 16th century Spanish monastic and mystic, and she set this idea to poetry. It's in your worship folder. In the sermon notes, it's there on the bottom of that first page. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless men here and now. This is even, you know, this idea, this concept, this is where we as Christians got our name. The first century followers of Christ were given this name actually kind of in jest and mockery because they were going about trying to live the way Jesus did and people were looking at them saying, what are you, like a, a baby Christ, a little Christ? Yeah, yeah. I think the name really fits. I think it's good, but who does the work of God, who does the work of Jesus, that's what we are saying. That's what we are as Christians. We're little Christ's. But the words of St. Teresa, they sum up this mystery of God with us through Christ, but then God in us through Christ. And it's often given this kind of very fancy name, incarnational theology. It reminds us that God became incarnate, became flesh in Christ to fully embody God's, God's love and work in the world. But then Jesus took the concept a step further in calling all those who would follow him to incarnate himself in our own lives and in our own way of loving and interacting with the world as he did. Now, if you're tracking with me this morning, some warning bells might be going off. Because who is it that should be telling others about the restoration and healing of the work of Jesus and the kingdom of God in our culture, like that really means like our neighbors, our friends, our family, the people we work with. It sounds like what I'm saying to you is that it's not my job, it's your job. It's all of our jobs to be doing this work. And if you're hearing that, the warning bells are going off because you're thinking, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like a sermon about evangelism. And you know, church leaders, 
we tend to kind of walk a tightrope these days. The truth is, like the concepts of words like evangelism, or for that matter, even like reading the Bible, there's articles and books all about how those are trigger warnings in church these days. And to be careful the way you talk about that. And, you know, unfortunately, I get it. It's, it's because for much of the church's history, the duty implied in serving the kingdom was so forcefully put across that the love and the mercy and the compassion, and the tenderness of Jesus was somehow lost in that. So if you're hearing the word evangelism today and you're thinking, I've been down that road and I didn't like it. <laughs> Let's continue our time together. And you know what? I'll even use a different word. Let's talk about restoration. Because restoration really is what the kingdom's about. And that really is what we're talking about today. When we hear the servant song, we might just as easily be tuning that calling out because of our experiences in the past. But if we truly look at what Jesus is asking us to do, I think we can kind of wrap our minds around this in a much more natural way. You know, speaking of Christian triggers, who remembers the WWJD craze? Yeah. Somewhere around the mid-90s, it seemed like every church, you know, from the, the youngest to the oldest in the church, were pushing hard the concept of what would Jesus do? The message was abbreviated as WWJD, and it was emblazoned on shirts and hats and these bracelets, right? Those are the famous things, those kind of rubbery bracelets, the silicon bracelets you would wear. It said WWJD. And the thing is, like, as you wore it, it was made to catch your eye, and you'd think, oh, right, what would Jesus do? I was about to do the other thing, but I saw my bracelet, so now I'm going to do the other thing. <laughs> you know, actually, I love the concept because as followers of Christ, yeah, exactly. That's what we should be asking ourselves. What would Jesus be doing? But I certainly also remember at the time feeling like the trouble or the contradiction in the concept because Jesus, yeah, he was fully human, fully flesh like you and I, but also not like you and I, because he was literally God, right? He was fully God incarnate. Jesus was infallible, where so often we fail. Jesus was perfect in understanding and hearing God's word and his will, where so oftentimes we feel like we're just stumbling along in the dark bumping our nose against the wall because we took a wrong turn. Jesus was sinless, full of patience and compassion and mercy, where so often we are tied up in our own sins of jealousy and anger and selfishness. So perhaps it would help us in addition to asking WWJD, what would, John, what would Jesus do? What if we also asked what WWJBD? Any ideas what JBD might mean? What would John the Baptist do? Come on, guys. What would, <laughs> what would John the Baptist do? We met John the Baptist last week when we talked about the bath, baptism of Christ. This week, we're going to be looking at that story 
in the book of John. And again, the book of John is just built different than the other three gospels. Because in John's account of the baptism, there's no water. There's no like actually of the dunking. It's just you hear kind of the, 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 the fallout of what happened, so to speak. Let's look at John chapter one, verse 29 through 42. So the next day, this is the day after Jesus was baptized. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and rest upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see my spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Now, remember last week, we were talking about how John probably knew of Jesus. He knew, I mean, they were cousins, right? So at least their mothers would talk. But John knew of Jesus. And even to the point where when Jesus came to John to be baptized, John tried to say, no, no, Lord, it, it should be me who baptizes you. John was recognizing his own sin. You know, he, he tried to talk Jesus out of it. So he had an inkling. But this passage is telling us, you know, he, he had an inkling of who Jesus might be, but he wasn't sure yet. But once he knew, then what? Let's look, continuing on in verse 35. The following day, so now the, the, the second day after the baptism, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples as Jesus was just walking by. John looked at him and he declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and he said, what do you want? And he asked them, what do you want? He asked them and they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, about the 10th hour in the time, reckoning of the time, when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these two men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And Andrew then went to his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will call, be called Cephas, which means Peter. As we look at this story, it kind of reveals a couple of things to us. First of all, we're asking that question, what would John the Baptist do? What did John the Baptist do in this passage? He simply told of what he saw. 
He told what he experienced. He called attention to Jesus. And then he said to all within hearing distance, look, see, God is alive. God is in our midst. The Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us and for us. And even in spite of us, behold the Lamb of God. John's entire life and ministry could be summed up in the idea of pointing the way to the light that was to come. And then when the light came, pointing the way to the light that was there. Even to the degree, I don't know if you caught this, but even to the degree that John, like all teachers of the time, rabbis and others, they had a following. They had people who followed and learned from them and as a way to like extend their ministries to the point that John, when he saw Jesus coming, two of his disciples were standing with him and he let them go, leave his own service in order to enter into the service of Jesus. And of course, this is Andrew and Peter, pillars of our faith. How might our life of partnering with Jesus in telling the good news, whether we call it evangelism or restoration, how might it be different if we release the pressure of being Jesus rather into the pressure of pointing others to Jesus? How might our life of partnership with Jesus change if we release some of the pressure of the feeling to be Jesus in favor of the role of pointing others to Jesus? And as we do this work, there was two really cool questions that Jesus asked in that passage, and I think they would really help us. Two inquiries that Jesus asked of Andrew and Peter. What do you want and then come and see. As we encounter the loss and the hurting among us, when given the opportunity to come alongside someone in a manner or an effort to point them to Jesus, I think we need to learn to ask the question, what do you want? Not in an accusatory way, but as a way of reframing our hearts toward the one who meets our needs not only in body, but in spirit. Just like it was for Jesus thousands of years ago, the majority of our needs that we face, that we talk about in conversation, they're physical. You know, the crippled, the blind, the diseased, the condemned came to Jesus facing life and death issues in their bodies. And they left being touched and healed, not only in their body, but in their hearts also. We think of the story of the cripple being let down through the roof. He was lame on a bed. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. That came first and then the healing of his body. All the time, in almost every interaction we have, the conversations that we tend to have with one another, they focus on our physical needs. Perhaps they focus on some, some actual ailment, something that we're feeling in our bodies, something that we're experiencing in our bodies. But sometimes they're like, I'm so busy. You know, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm busy, right? That's the, that's the given answer these days. Because our to-do lists, our financial challenges, our physical needs, that tends to be what writing, is writing on the surface. 
But how often do we ask questions that delve a little deeper, that kind of try to get to the emotional needs that we all have? Under every overwhelming physical need is an emotional hurt or tension. How are we at taking the time, the care, the thought to ask the questions that help us in discovering those needs of one another and then pointing one another towards Jesus and his help in those needs? As we point others towards the light, we don't ignore their bodily needs. That's not a way of getting out of someone says, I have a flat tire and I have no way to get it fixed. Well, are you going to take the time to help fix it? That's in no way, you know, kind of, well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Let's talk about that. You know, we need to fix the tire. But we don't ignore those bodily needs. We meet those needs as best we can. Sometimes we're not the ones suited to meet a physical need that we come across. But after the times we are. But more importantly, we help point others to the one who provides the peace and the grace and the wholeness in mind and spirit that we've experienced in our own lives. And you know what tends to happen as we point, that, as we point to that? That our physical needs tend to kind of follow behind, get drawn into place. I love this second statement that Jesus said, come and see. You know, they said, you know, he said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, we want to know where you're staying. As if they were kind of concerned, like, oh, maybe he doesn't have a place. Maybe we can put him up in a hotel. You know, they were just stalling. You know, they were just stalling. You know, they really just wanted to be with Jesus is really what they were saying. We want to know where you're staying. Jesus says, come and see. As we encounter the loss and the hurting among us, when given the opportunity to come alongside, we must learn to say, come and see. As we invite others to discover for themselves what we are experiencing. Hopefully, that's the healing and the restoration and the wholeness that you're experiencing in yourself. You don't always feel that way from day to day. Maybe you're having a day where you feel like I need to be the one to come and see with somebody else. And that's good. It just keeps going. But hopefully, we're able to say, come and see what I've experienced in my life. How I've experienced salvation and wholeness and restoration. But also, how I'm experiencing living my life of faith through spiritual formation, through this group of people that I hang out with, through this time that I spend on Sundays, whatever it is. That's how we fulfill the servant song. And I get it. Inviting others into your life is the most inconvenient thing. <laughs> it's the most inconvenient thing because it means that we might not get to the list of things that we otherwise had on our plate. Or it means that we might have to set aside that thing that we were really looking forward to doing in about 30 minutes. Because, I mean, the game's about to start, whatever game it is, <laughs> in less than an hour, right? And plus, people are difficult. Did you know that you're difficult? <laughs> Did you know that at times you can be messy? People are difficult. And once we start kind of coming alongside somebody and asking those questions, and they 
open up the bag and say, well, since you asked, look at this and look at this and look at this. It starts getting real. <laughs> and that's kind of inconvenient. I get it. But aren't you glad someone took the time for you to say, come and see? Aren't you glad that they gave you the opportunity to unpack your bag? Remember this idea of self-reliance in our culture that's pervasive. I mean, it's, it's attractive, actually. I mean, I find myself watching those videos of the guys who live in the woods for two years alone and they just build their cabin. I mean, they're self-reliant, right? This idea of self-reliance, this idea of not dating anybody, honestly, it's, it's a trap. It's not the way we're intended to live. It's not the fulfillment of the kingdom. There's nothing we read about what the kingdom of heaven is like that says, you should be able to go out on your own and if you work hard enough, you'll be fine. There's nothing about that in the, in the kingdom. The kingdom implies that we should be connected, that we should have reliance on one another, that those, that connection, that reliance on one another is good. That's, that's how we grow. That's how we heal. That's how we work through things. That's how we process. It might be what our culture and even our national idea wants us to think that we should be self-reliant, but that's because there's a whole industry made to profit on that pursuit, that journey. We're meant to live and journey life together. And this is, it works. It's really the only thing that works for us in the long run. There's no better plan for restoration or evangelism or whatever you call it then to say, what do you want? Come and see. There's no tract that can do that. There's no video, there's no book, there's no podcast series that can do that. The way that you can do through relationship with someone. You know, because it's through relationship with someone that we gain that kind of emotional trust, that emotional credit, that authority in someone, that then maybe we could suggest a book, or then we could maybe suggest a video series, or then we, we could suggest a podcast. But handing a stranger a tract and saying God's gonna take care of the rest, that's, that, yeah, that isn't a bad concept but it's missing, I think, the key piece, which is you. Our stories, our experiences, our failed attempts, our successes all become part of the beautiful tapestry which reveals to those around us the goodness and mercy of God. The easiest way for you and I to release the pressure of restoration or evangelism or whatever we're calling it today of doing what John the Baptist did, which is point others to the light. The easiest way to release that pressure is simply to invite other people into friendship with us. 
And sometimes that might be the kind of person that you don't naturally gravitate towards. Do any of you have a friend like that? Like the one friend that's kind of different than all your other friends? I hope so. If you don't pray for one, pray that God would introduce you to somebody. Jay. In, in our epistle for the, the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read this. I always thank God for you and for the gracious gift that he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ, through him, God has enriched your, your church in every way, which with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Jesus is true. Now you have every spiritual gift uh, that you need. As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus, he will keep you strong to the ends so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you noticed this theme has recurred in all four of our passages today, even in the psalm, there's an idea that we're doing work for the Lord and that we're given strength to do that work. The servant song promises hope, help, and purpose to all the nations, even in the midst of overwhelming need, even when the task appears daunting I love in that passage in Isaiah, the reply is, I've, I've done this and it feels like it's not doing any good. I feel like I've been doing this work and it feels like it's not working. The, the honesty in that. Even when the task appears daunting to us, the encouragement is that we're given strength, not only to restore the found, but to find the lost. Just as Paul is doing in this passage, of course, Paul was an evangelist. He went from place to place, meeting and telling of the goodness of the Lord and setting up churches. And the church in Corinth was one of Paul's churches. He didn't stay. It got set up and it was running and he was writing letters back. That's what this is. We're reading a letter that he wrote to his church. And in the same way that Paul is providing pastoral encouragement to, to the church in Corinth, I think we're receiving that same pastoral encouragement today. Because as a pastor, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to live life alongside of you, to come to share your burdens and your weight. But I'm also called to consider scripture and to consider what it is the Lord's asking us to do in our lives and to encourage you in loving ways to do that. So my encouragement to you today even if it feels hard, take heart. Be of good courage. Be of good strength. And you know what the cool thing is? You're not necessarily having to go out here and do this alone. In other words, a friend of Laura's may be a friend of mine. And Laura may say, this friend of ours is hurting. Let's go get together with them. We do this work together. Be of good courage. Our stories, our experiences, our failures, 
our successes, they all become a beautiful tapestry which reveals to those around us the mercy and goodness of God. And remember, the easiest way to release the pressure of doing this work is to simply invite others to come and see what you've experienced through relationship and friendship with others. Let us pray. Father, as your children in Jesus, we desire to be totally your instruments for your kingdom and that your kingdom would be manifest through our lives. We desire to receive your promise of the Holy Spirit in us because we believe Jesus, our Savior and our King, baptize us with your Spirit's presence and power just the way you did with Christ on the day of his baptism. Lord, work in us, transform us according to your will. Holy Spirit, empower us and fill us to overflowing, holding nothing back. We come to you. Work your gifts in us and through us so that the kingdom may be made real in our lives and made real to those around us. That we may enact your justice, your humility, your gentleness, your courage, and your perseverance to all those to whom we meet. Amen.